Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Amen. Good morning. Does the war ever end? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are victorious. You said the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And I thank you today for this audience. I thank you for those who are going to be listening in the, in the near future, Lord, through the archives. I thank you for giving us eyes to see, comprehend, understand that you remove the spirit of stupor and delusion and, and, and disillusionment, disappointment, the lies and the, the um, fruit of those lies from us that we can see clearly hear clearly, understand, and know that the enemy cannot snatch the word of truth from us. Lord God, that we will stand in having done all to stand, as it says in Ephesians, and that you'll teach us how to contend for our loved ones, Lord God, that you'll make us strong and full of faith, not discouraged, but full of confidence in your word and your promises, because your promises are true and you cannot lie. I thank you for dying for us, for demonstrating your love for us in an indisputable laying down of your life, that the enemy cannot he can't dispute it. He can't undo it, Father. And I thank you, Lord, it is finished. I thank you also for giving us power to pray, to bind, to loose, to forgive, and to receive um, the revelations, uh, the victories that you have set before us in our lives, Lord God. And I thank you now for giving us your, your wisdom. Help us to speak clearly and to understand it thoroughly, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking, honey, about contending for your loved ones, contending for the souls of your loved ones, and storming the strongholds that have held them hostage. But before we can actually do that, we need to understand a couple of things. So let me just kind of give a couple of definitions, and then we'll go into the foundations. And this is actually going to be a two-part show. Uh, Next week, we'll finish it off. And so we encourage you to um, get part one and part two. So contending. Contending for the souls of our loved ones. Contending, what does that mean? Well, dictionary definition says to argue or claim that something is true, to struggle or deal with something or someone, um, to fight with or struggle against. And I think in our case, we're fighting for our children, our loved ones, members of our family, and we're fighting against, contending against the lies. Because contend means to argue or to claim that something is true. And so obviously what has brought our children, loved ones into these strongholds has been the lie. Well, parents, what we're called to be is uh, proactive right. in, in, in contending. So many times what happens when in a situation where the kids have basically rebelled and gone astray and to such an extent, and then we're trying to just bring them back. Right. Yes. And, and because, but because I think we don't understand as, and this isn't just for your children. This can be for your children, obviously, or for your, um, your husband, wife, right. Yeah. Friends, everybody kind of locked up in these strongholds. A stronghold is defined as a place that is fortified or that can easily be defended. Like a place where people are locked, locked in a stronghold, for example, and need to be rescued. It's a place where a particular group or activity uh, or set of opinions is concentrated. And I think the, end, the Bible uses the word stronghold and our, our children, our lives, uh, we are held in strongholds. And those strongholds are basically mindsets. Uh, they begin, out as, begin as mindsets anyway. And then they bring with them the extra uh, bindings of uh, addictions or the, the consequences of our actions. But they start out as a, a, a place of being held in a mindset. Yeah, just, just looking at the word stronghold, stronghold. It's something yeah. that's got a strong hold on you. Mm-hmm. And it, w- mm-hmm. what it is, it's hindering you from fulfilling your purpose. Divine from destiny. being who God has called you right. to be. And, and part of that destiny is to overcome the strongholds and to be victorious in the battles. Uh, and then the other word is hostage. A hostage means a captive, someone who's held for ransom. And it's interesting, the devil holds us for ransom. You know, and we've got to be good, be better, not good enough, perfection, performance, they hold us hostage. But Jesus already paid the ransom completely. So if we understand that in this process of contending, we actually are contending for our loved ones before the court of heaven. And part of our argument 
is that they have already been set free. The ransom has already been paid in full and that Satan is holding them illegally, detaining uh, them against their will and, and possibly even in, in some captive situations, you know, where people are taken like hostages, they actually believe that they want to be there after a while, that mm-hmm. this person is a beneficiary, a, a, a benefactor to them. Right. The one that's holding them captive. Right. It's like, oh, this is good for so, you to be here. But what happens many times as we see in war, we have sent the Navy SEALs, people that are POWs, uh, they, they're held illegally. Mm-hmm. Uh, they send in Navy SEALs, and there's a whole strategy and operation right. to rescue them and, and to bring them out of this. And and, so, yeah, exactly. And with the Navy SEALs or any other rescue team, they have to be aware of how that stronghold is fortified. It can be fortified at different levels. There can be gates. There can be tunnels. There can be uh, guards on the towers. There can be you know uh, electric sensors and devices that give off alarms. We have to understand that with the dem- with the devil and the demonic strongholds, there's the same kind of kind of, uh, setup like that. So there's there's not just one straight in shot. Usually there's a lot of understanding of how to rescue. Mm-hmm. And well, a lot of in in ideally it would be nice if they those never got into strongholds in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, prevention. You know, the old saying: an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Uh-huh. But we have to recognize, and, well, and I know that we're very aware that that Satan has a war. If we're talking about children. Satan is at war against our children. Yeah, I heard just the other day we were at a big conference and they had a prayer room in there and and uh, we walked past and one of the friends of ours kind of popped her head out and said, you know what? She says the number one prayer request for the people coming through the prayer room today is for their children who are held in a stronghold of homosexuality. And, you know, and then I, I had another sweet, dear person who's uh, in the ministry uh, talking about their son, uh, who's also caught up in this sort of stuff. And we can't go into details about this, but you know that many of the children of the ministers, the pastors, the missionary kids, the PKs, whatever, uh, they're not immune to the targets of this this spirit. It's a power. It's an actual force power. A power there's powers, principality, spiritual wickedness. But the powers are a pervasive thought or influence that has taken over our school system and taken over society that gay, homosexual perversions, et cetera, are, are okay, acceptable, uh, actually commendable. And so that is, you know, to understand as people that are raising children in this very, it's like breathing in the smog all the time and wondering why you've got, you know, lung disease after a while. It's just that we have to be aware that there are principalities and powers who are de- de- ber- de- deliberately um, de- brainwashing, diverting, uh, destroying our children. Well, some of the aspects of the war against children, it's, it's, if you look at it, it yeah. starts early. Yeah. It's like the war against children in the womb. Where in America, right. United States, we've aborted over 58 million, 58 million. Uh, yeah, that's babies. you know, and our population in the United States has actually gone down, um, and we've we've lost those 58 million voters. Um, uh, you know, our, people that could have been very, very productive for society. Right, right, right. Exactly. Well, well, and, then, and then we have in our education is we have humanism where we yeah. basically kind of nix God out of the picture. Totally. And we talk about human potential and, and which arises out of the idea of evolution. Mm-hmm. This this whole myth that we've kind of evolved over billions of years yeah. and there's no Self. God. We just sort of happen. We're sort right. of in a cosmic accidents. And then if you look at, too, the whole... Uh, entertainment industry, oh, yeah. music, movies, oh. all these things that are just Raunchy inundating and people rampant. Yeah. for the most part. Thank God for the good movies that yes. have. There are a few that have some good principles and truth. But then you've got all the uh, technological fascination. Well, yeah. And, and, and technology, it, and you can say, well, it's kind of a neutral thing. It can be used for good. It can be used for evil. But for the most part, it's very, very distracting. It's inundating say uh-huh. the minds of children you look at them they're sitting there with their thumbs texting and gaming well, and it's whatever else they're not doing. only that but these things you know you have the obvious effects of them but the technology is actually rewriting our brain yeah. and it's causing us to think differently we have to think more quickly more abbreviated um, there's no meditation there's no pondering there's no quiet time there's no stillness anymore even that precious Silence, the gift of meditating and being alone and thinking about the things of God is gone for the most part from 
our young people's lives, especially. And, and what's the content of, of most of this stuff that's coming to us through our media, through our entertainment? It's basically lies. Right. Basically yeah. lies, which brings us into confusion. So really what it's doing is it's building the stronghold. You know, a stronghold is right. like a prison or, a, you know, barricaded with, and, and this, this prison is built with lies and mindsets and belief systems. And Paul called it the body of death. So it's like a prison that's being built around your child, around your loved one and your spouse. And like we said, you know, you have met them, you know, maybe obviously your children, you knew them from birth, but you know, your spouse, for example, you, you met them, you know, when they were advanced in the building of that stronghold, they were advanced in the, in their mindsets. Usually you meet them in their, you know, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, you meet this person who's already been well indoctrinated, well shaped by the, the powers of darkness. And it's hard sometimes to see what's really going on because it's not discerned at first. Usually we want to, and that's another part of the stronghold. It's a shape shifting kind of thing where, you know, it looks like to be one thing and you buy into it and you believe it and you marry it. And, and then it turns out it's not that at all. And you're just like freaked out. Now I've made this vow, this commitment. I married this monster. I thought he was or she was true and good and kind. And now they've just turned into a, a, a human. Uh, I, I won't even say whatever, but I was just going to say. But, you know, it's just like, OK, so the strongholds are there. The strongholds are made up of agreements, lies, agreements we've made with lies. The devil, Jesus called him a liar. He's the builder of the strongholds. He's the, the, the controller of the stronghold. He's the one who handles it, ma- manipulates us. And he builds that stronghold right within us. You know, most of us aren't running around in a prison. Uh, we, are, we look like we're free. And the devil says, you're free to do whatever you want. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Just have fun and, and you know, live your life the way you want to. And, of course, you don't realize that a lot of the suggestions you're getting on how to live your life are actually coming from thought and feelings and emotions and people around you, uh, circumstances, situations that are deliberately set up to drive you astray and that are not even your own thoughts. So, you know, it's kind of like, um, but let's go to the uh, foundations a little bit. I know you, you know, we're talking not just about children because everybody was a child at one time. So this is very relevant to anybody that you're working with. It may be a wayward child right now who's locked up in uh, homosexuality or, or you know, uh, depression or, uh, you know, drug abuse, dis- cutting, self-injury. It may be a husband who's, or a, you know, who's abandoned the family. Uh, you know, it could be anybody. It could be someone at work that is just absolutely practicing witchcraft, if you will, against you. Um, but we need to understand each person starts out as a, a little person, a child, and we're brought into this world, kind of born and thrown into the snake pit of life. And at that point, God has given us words of how to raise the child, how to raise each one. But you know what? Hardly nobody gets raised that way. Nobody gets raised with most, you know, the, the godly recommendations that the word of God gives. Mm-hmm. So for folks that, you know, really don't know Christ, um, you know, and, and maybe even and people that come to know Christ maybe later in life after the kids are half raised or half gone or, yeah. or, or out of the home and, and they're dealing with the effects of why is this this child or this this now young adult like mm-hmm. this? Well, part of it is you know we one of the Satan's war part of Satan's war against the children is the lack of godly parenting, and a lot of us have not been Precept. trained yeah. in godly, godly parenting. Mm-hmm. It, it's a rare thing. There's a lot of Christian books now on spiritual parenting, fathering, and all that stuff. There's a lot of that out there, but it seems like we're kind of uh, missing it. We, we're kind of, kind of like we were chasing the calves that already got let out of the barn. We've, we've lost them already. And now we're trying to run to catch up. And you know, this, you know, even Christian parenting, I, I mean, I, I know, and you know that a lot of the kids who are out there, renegade, prodigal, destroying themselves are from Christian backgrounds. And I think part of that, the explanation of why these kids went so astray is because their parents, they were being brought up under the wrong gospel. It looked like the right gospel, but really it was a pseudo gospel. It was like the Pharisees. It was like laws, legalism, religion. It wasn't really giving them a true understanding of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Uh, And understanding the parents, I think, themselves were too hard on the kids or maybe too negligent of the kids. It, it, it seems like it doesn't matter either way can breed the same kind of despair and rebellion in the child. But re- rebellion actually comes from a spirit of rejection. 
So the child is feeling like they couldn't live up. I know several pastor's sons. I know some daughters too, but pastor's sons who actually had parents who were very harsh, very religious, very strict, very, what we would call godly, very focused on God and church and evangelism and the work of God and ministry and their children you know, were so sensitive. These were really sensitive young kids that were that were violated or did something wrong. They were they were overcorrected. They were uh, harshly uh, rebuked or spanked or dealt with whatever. When they didn't even do anything wrong, in the one particular case, I'm thinking he didn't even do anything wrong, but his father perceived that he had, and the child was devastated. He was just a little guy, and and you know he couldn't his father wouldn't believe him that he didn't do it or whatever it was. I can't remember the particulars of it, but, and the kid was so devastated that he began to believe in his own mind. I'm bad. I'm no good. You know, I might as well just go be bad. And of course, when you reinforce that over and over with God says, and God's mad at you and you better be good or you're going to get in trouble. This is, you know, this is an absolute wrong concept. You know, I mean, yes, there's part truth to it. Yes, there is judgment for the wicked. I'm not saying that. But when we teach our children that you do something wrong and God is mad at you and you leave out the element of the demonic, the tempter, the one who's setting them up, uh, the one who deceived them, you leave out that whole element of deception and just make it all about their choice. And therefore they made the choice. Therefore they're bad and naughty. And now God is mad at them because they broke, broke the law, broke the rule. You're just really alienating them from God in, in, in the long run. To, and not giving them a right concept of how to come back to God, confess your sin, repent, confess your sin, and come back to God. Well, looking at Deuteronomy twenty-eight fifteen, it says, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is like a stronghold coming and taking over. Yeah. And one of the curses here is, is in verse 32, your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people. Ouch. And your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long. And there shall be no strength in your hand. This shows a despair of, say, a, a parent. It's like my kids are out there. Uh, they're out there. They're they're doing drugs. They're uh-huh. they're into homosexuality. They're into their self injury. The transgender mm-hmm. uh, issue uh, is, is what they're dealing with. They're not sure of their sexual identity even. And it's like it seems like many parents. I said my kids are out there, and I don't know what to do. I pray for them. Well, I've made some mistakes, and sometimes parents get really under a lot of condemnation. And sometimes yeah. parents have actually. They've 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 been negligent. They haven't mm-hmm. done their job. Well, they don't they, know, or they just don't know. Yeah. And at the same or time, they tried, but godly parents, did it wrong. Uh, there are people say, okay, what do I do now? They're out there, and people are desperate, discouraged, and and uh, we're we're talking about how to contend for them. How can right. we contend? Mm-hmm. How can we yeah. get them back? Like I said, they're they're kind of like they're 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 out of the pen of they're locked of godliness. they're locked up and they're, <laughs> and running, they're running around free running at the loose. Same time. how do we get them back well you know going back to Deuteronomy 28 and of course this is old testament but it's just, it's the principle that if you will then i will <clears throat> if you will be good if you i mean if you will obey me and i'm not contradicting what i just said i understand that god gave them these laws and commandments because he knew that the minute that they would disobey him, Satan would bring his case against them before the high court of heaven. And so God is saying, you know, just save yourself the trouble and obey me. So Satan has nothing to work with here because Satan actually brings and builds his case against you using the very sins as evidence that he, that you're listening to him, that he has a right to have you, to run you and to um, put upon you the demonic judgments that he has contrived for you. So the, the things that come to us, it's not God who wants our children to be taken off and by another people or, or um, given to another people or eyes um, look for longing. That's not God's heart. God doesn't have a twisted heart where he's, you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. God is longing for truth and freedom. And so the first thing that really we have to do when we want to get our children, or our people back, I believe is to begin to confess uh, the sins of the fathers, the generational agreements. And we'll get more into that next week, but um, just to kind of keep that in your mind that, 
these spiritual attacks against your family, and I have done literally thousands of generational bloodlines and family trees, that these sins do not just come out of the blue. They don't come from nowhere. I mean, you are going to be specifically attacked in very strategic and predictable ways because of the patterns that have already been set in your family, the agreements that have already been made. For example, some people are continually attacked with sexual perversions, some with addictions, some with both, some with car accidents, some never have any car accidents, some never have any sexual uh, misconduct in their bloodline. It's just, there's just everybody, but everybody's got something. Some have witchcraft, some have gossip. And you, you can mark it down. Look at what's happened in your bloodline, if you know, and if you even know one or two generations back. See how they're behaving. See what lies they believed in. Begin to think about what were the lies that they grew up under. These, see, we, things are both taught, you know, and there's nurture and nature. The, the, the nature part is the DNA, the marks on the DNA, the marks of iniquity, the open doors, the agreements that Satan highlights and makes note of so he can use those things again and again because they worked before, they'll work again. And then, of course, the, we're born into a family where we learn to be, those things are reinforced in us. We're re- reinforcing religious spirits. We're reinforcing the wrong concepts of God. Uh, we're reinforcing um, good works as opposed to grace. Um, and so we just kind of, you know, begin, it just kind of uh, reinforces and continues to build the stronghold. A lot of times what we don't look at that, those foundational things. We don't look at no. these generational things and, and many don't even think of that. We don't even think of that, but we have to really go there if we're going to fight mm-hmm. and contend for and our children, actually... contend for mm-hmm. our, our, you know, loved ones or even uh well, we're talking specifically about family yeah. today. But, but we're in that place. You know, that's another trick. We live in the here and now. We don't think we have any connections. We don't come from anywhere. We, the, not, nothing that happened back there is relevant to us. And I can promise you it is so relevant. It's scary. It is so deliberately detailed and patterned that it's actually scary. I work with clients that know where they come from in terms of their bloodlines and their royal descent and whatnot. And it's like, oh, my goodness, the same exact thing is happening to you that happened to Mary, Queen of Scots. Whoa. It's like, you know, and when you know that, you say, there's got to be something. This is not a coincidence. This is not just a chance. This is, this is deliberate, and there's, uh, there's reasons for it. So understanding our generational bloodline, not just living in the here and now and be blind to what happened in the past and our roots and where we came from, that's part of the thing. And I think as parents, it's good for you um, to – come before the Lord and ask him to examine you and show you where, where are the lies, the strongholds, the pitfalls, the, 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 where the enemy has held you captive in your life. Because if you don't get free, you will not have the freedom to love and encourage and build that little one up. But, you know, this is, this seems to be very nebulous for people, even if they're in that thinking of looking back at the family history and what's going on. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like it's something that's very difficult for people, many people to recognize and to take a hold of, you know, what, what do they look for? Yeah. How yeah. do they do it? You know, there's, there's, there's a way of, of grab and getting a hold of this and, and how can well, we I, help people kind of get a okay, hold of this? Say, okay. say someone's got a, a child that's really out there, you know, getting into the homosexual lifestyle okay. and they just feel very, very helpless uh, about it. What do I do? And, and the, the child is, you know, maybe a young adult, uh, and they just seem like they can't, there's no communication. They okay. can't really talk to them. They're praying. How do they pray? We just need to, uh, some more specifics here of how to just yeah. to take a hold yeah. of this. Yeah, I get that. Well, first of all, I, the important thing is for you to look at the fruit. Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. So if you're seeing the fruits of rebellion or, uh, and usually, well, always, uh, anybody who's struggling with their identity and don't know for sure if they're male or female, they obviously have a very primary uh, identity crisis going on in their being because we are, are I, who I am, uh, who am I? My identity is based on, first of all, my sexuality. And that has been, you know, assaulted um, since Satan can get by with it for a long, long time. That is a critical, that's a primary, that's a basic. If you start chopping, you know, you can lose a lot of limbs in your body, but if you start chopping at the head, you're going to die. And so there's certain things that are primary, and one of them is our basic sexual identity, which is the foundation of who I am. And as a one looking at where can I start, look at the fruit. What are they doing? 
if it's, you know, if, if, if all of it actually, you know, whether they're cutting, uh, whether they're, you know, and, and anger too, a lot of outbursts of rebellion, anger, defiance that come from spouses, that come from friends, friendships, uh, you know, even these millennials that be, with, that, with, their, with each other. There's all kinds of, uh, you know, ask the Lord, what's, what, okay, what's the behavior? They're freaking out, they're angry, they're obsessed, they're uh, nervous, neurotic, anxious, you know, depressed, whatever it is, on drugs, medications, blah, 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 all the same. So what is the fruit? I mean, what is the, uh, the, the obvious, what's going on, the behavior? And look at that and then read it backwards and go back to the root. You're kind of like, it's like you have the dandelion on top of the ground. You see the dandelion, ah, that's a dandelion, ah, I don't like dandelions. So now I've got to dig it down and get to the root and get the root out or you're going to have another dandelion next tomorrow. And so getting back to the root of your state, begin to ask the questions, okay, what is, what is the problem here? What is the lie? Always, what is the lie? You can write this down. What is the lie that fear is telling them? Or this can be applied to you too. What is the lie that fear is telling you that causes you or them to, uh, to lose, you know, lose their life, to, to, to throw their life away, to be despairing, despondent, uh, disinterested in their own life, um, failure to thrive, going back to, uh, you know, going into the gay lifestyle, whatever it is. What is the lie that fear is telling them? And there are probably going to come up with a bunch of lies because there's usually more than one bar in the prison there's usually more than one you know lie in the mindset of the stronghold that keeps them and these kind of are webbed together built like you know it's like you build a house you you lay the foundation then you put up the frame and these strongholds are built like that you lay a foundation of rejection or like with these little guys we're talking about they felt their dads that they displeased their dads god was mad at them they could never do right you know there was always another demand never good enough got to do more Whatever, and so you become as a child. There's no praise, there's no encouragement, there's no blessing, and there's no teaching about warfare. There's no understanding. The parents have no understanding about it either. So they're just expecting you to be a perfect child and never get dirty when you're living in the middle of a mud puddle. It's just like ridiculous. So there's one of the problems is lack of education, a lack of parental education on the spiritual warfare part. Yeah. Because, you know, there's, 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 mm-hmm. there's, you know, we can give principles and I've got some here that principles uh, and practices that are good for parents to initiate that are very key things. But, but understanding what we said at the beginning of the show today, the roots that there is a, a war against the minds and the hearts, uh-huh. the lives of, of the uh, children that is, it's just be able to discern that. Because there's a twisting, there's a twisting of their their thinking many times. Yeah. So when when there's a twisting, there's a twisting. Then you um, we we don't know how to contend. We don't know what to do to contend. Because contend means we have to be free ourselves. We have to be free first before we can set someone else free. Well, then there's the uh, interpreting situations. You know, if if mom and dad uh, say my dad uh, corrects me, a, a kid can interpret it saying, "Yeah, he doesn't love me," yeah. or "She doesn't love me," right? Or if if they they fail in a certain area, or you know, a kid at school mm-hmm. makes fun of somebody because they mm-hmm. failed or they didn't do something right, or mm-hmm. you know, in sports they made a mistake or something like that. Coach gets on them, kids get on them, parents get on them. They feel like there's right. there's, there's there's failure there, right? And, I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm bad. So mm-hmm. there, not only is it is it in a positive light. Okay, you, yeah, this something wasn't not quite maybe right, but let's let's learn from this. Yeah. Let's correct this. That's, it's okay. It still doesn't change who you are. But they you think are, it does. But, and yeah. I know that you reminded me of uh, people who come into a family where there's an expectation on them before they're even born, um, to or pressure to heal a broken marriage, uh, to. Um, uh, be a, a boy when there's one uh, or a girl and or the parent or the parents are in this huge struggle themselves for their lives, their marriage, their family. And the the child does not understand that the rage, the, the freaking out, uh, the the unhappiness, the um, the religious, uh, you know, hypocrisy 
they don't put words together and say, oh, my dad is being a religious hypocrite. Maybe they do when they're 17, but they don't do that when they're three. And so they think, oh, it must be something I am doing. So all, all, children are the center of their own world. And so everything, that, they are the center. Okay, so everything that goes on is somehow connected with them. Somehow something has to do with something they did because they think they have all this. They don't recognize the world and how connected it is and how little power they really have. And so Satan uses that to get them to take on the agreement or the responsibility or the, the, um, the shame, the failure, and make it their fault. And, and so, you know, they become, after a while, when you can't fix your parents or you've got to parent your parents or you've got to be there for your parents or they don't, your parents are done parenting, you're the last one in line and they just let you go and run around and do your own thing and they don't give you any guidance um, you begin to believe things about yourself based on what your parents are doing. And so you as a parent now need to go back and examine. Sometimes God works through the parent to bring the child back. Sometimes God works through the child to bring the parent back. But each one of you can start. So, you know, God is working on both. But you, as a now that you're growing up and maturing in the Lord, you can say, Lord, forgive me for, for being such a jerk, for being such a uh, harsh critical, uh, hypocritical, um, demanding person. And um, I know kids who are afraid uh, and believe lies, just believe lies outright because Satan puts lies there. And the parent maybe has no idea. That's another problem. Sometimes the parent has no idea what the kid is believing. And this is the same with your husband who grew up as a child and had the same problems. And so uh, if you're a spouse and you want to kind of get behind you know, what makes your, your mate tick and they're not ticking. Well, they're, they're unhappy. They're explosive. They're, they're demanding. They're controlling another big one. When you're afraid you'll control are they're insecure or they're very, you know, high maintenance or they're always after you somehow you want to know how, what makes them tick, then go back and look at what happened to them and what lies they're believing. And you begin to um, confess those things, bind as a bloodline representative of these people, you can to bind that spirit that's telling them the, the, what the lies that fear is telling them, that you're no good, you're a failure, you're never going to make it. No, unlovable is a big one. Unlovable kids get that. You know, to be lovable, I got to be like everybody else. I can't be different. And so that's, I think, one of the pressures behind the homosexual thing, is that everybody's doing it. It's okay. <clears throat> and then, of course, you have the spirit the power, the evil spirit that puts it in everybody's bathroom and everybody's school hallway and everybody's classroom and everybody's textbook. And this is all they're fed all day long. And so they do not discern there's any other world or any other option or any other opinion out there than what they are just the media and the, the forces of the powers of darkness are cramming down their lives. So they're really getting inundated and imprisoned even while, you know, they're learning. And even as they're growing, unfortunately, most parents are, are in, and grandparents are in a reactive position rather than a proactive position. In other words, yeah. we're just like, we're in the place where we feel that in Deuteronomy 28, you know, your, your, your eyes look and fail with longing for them mm-hmm. all the day mm-hmm. long. And there should be no strength in their hand. I feel like yeah. we're very, very helpless. Uh, and uh, Isaiah chapter three, verse 12, 12 mm-hmm. it says, uh, God says children are their oppressors mm-hmm. and, well, wim- and women rule over them. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah. so this is what's, so children rather becoming blessings, uh, yeah. you know, it talks about if you would train, train your children tra- yeah. in the ways of God, Old Testament, and the principle applies. He says, you can have like the days of heaven on the earth. Yeah. Well, what a lot of people have in their families is like the days of hell on the yes. earth. Mm-hmm. And children are their oppressors. They're they're ones that just give us grief. They keep us up at night. Rather than being a blessing, they they cost us money and they mm-hmm. hate us and they leave us and and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about Jesus even spoke about in the in the last days. Parents would rise up. Uh, parents would be betraying their children. Children would be betraying, uh, betraying their parents. Oh God! He mercy. talks about. In uh, Mark chapter 13, verse 12, now brother will betray brother to death. Mm-hmm. Now there's treachery, mm-hmm. family contention. Uh, the father is and a father, his child and children will rise up against 
parents and cause them to be put to death. We hear that about almost every day mm-hmm. on the news mm-hmm. of uh, parents, uh, uh, children this is, killing their parents. This is another fruit or uh, result of the strongholds and in contending for these children, realizing, first of all, as we contend for our loved ones um, or for yourself, that everybody is worth contending for because everybody that's human has a soul and those souls will have a destiny someday of either heaven or hell. And only God knows the true heart and condition and soul. God knows the depth of the pits from whence we're dug. God knows, you know, some have more advantages and some have way less advantages. God knows. And he puts all of that into the equation and the consideration because God is a just God. But at the same time, God would like you and me to stand up and and take heart to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And we do that. Freedom comes through truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if people are in bondage and, and sometimes the bondages don't appear to be bondages. That's another problem. They like what they're doing. They, they like their friends. They like their drugs. They, and, or they like it for a while. And then after a while they're locked into it and they don't like it anymore, but they're locked. And that's where we get the scriptures. Like Paul says, I'm doing what I hate. The things I hate, I perform. And he says, it is the sin that dwells in me. And this sin rules as, as king in your mortal, short-lived, perishable body to make you obey it in its lusts, evil passions, and cravings. And this is where we get demonic control, where the devil, the spirits of evil passions and cravings and lusts are actually manifesting and operating through your physical body to do what they want to do. And so now you're trying to quit what you can't stop. That's like an addiction or anything where we, you have to go deeper. You have to go deeper than the addiction. You have to go to the lie. You always have to go to the lie. The be, getting rid of a bad behavior or a negative behavior, uh, a sin, is not just a matter of will, willpower and self-control. It does not work. It does not work. Paul didn't say, I'm going to need to try harder. He never, ever said, you know, it's up to me. I'm going to have to prove myself. If I really wanted this, I would do what it takes. I've got to work the program. I've got to try harder. None of that. As a matter of fact, Paul said in Romans seven twenty, which I've said a million times, not quite a million, maybe four hundred. He, he said, "You." He says, "If I am doing what I don't want to do, it's not me doing it." So again, we're going back to the strongholds. There's something going on holding you hostage in the stronghold that's not you. That's causing you to do things that you uh, don't want to do. Now, as a parent, you may have unbelief and and feel that there is no hope for your child, you need to go back to the Lord on your face and say, God, nothing is impossible with you. God is for you. God is not against you. God has not made. He said, God says, I will never test you or permit you to be tested or tempted above that. I am able to keep you. But with every temptation, I will make a way of escape for you to be able to bear it. And the reason God says that I will, I will keep you is because he is committed to us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so God is keeping us, but there is also the process of beginning to become something else. As we continue to yield to darkness, to the lie, we become hardened, we become withered, we become the life drains out of us. And there comes, it comes a point in a person's life, even in their physical body, think about it, where the life is drained out and there's a point of basically no return unless God would just resurrect them uh, in their last moments of death. But there's a point where people... Not that we necessarily lose our salvation, but there's a point where we lose our, you know, we've given over to the agreement to the lie. And at this point, someone else is going to have to make petition. We can't do it ourselves anymore. So that's where intervention, intercession, and prayer come in to make this, um, to come before the high court of heaven to petition for your child's life, your spouse's life, your marriage, um, physical health, mental, emotional, spiritual life. It's coming with the truth, making the arguments before the most high God. And that's what contending means to argue to, uh, to, or a claim that something is um, true to contend before the court of heaven, that the ransom has been paid to contend before the court of heaven, that this is the work of dark. This is not what we want. This is not who we are. This is not who God made us to be, to confess the lie that we are, you know, we have been deceived. We have been, uh, I tell you what, it's so hard to get people to admit they're wrong, to confess. I've never seen anything that people are more bullheaded and stubborn on than to repent, humble themselves 
uh, and let their hearts be softened and, and weep before the Lord. It's like we can't be wrong. It's like if I'm wrong, then I have to admit that I'm wrong. And if I'm, I'm wrong, then I, I also admit I'm not right. And if I'm not right, then I, you know, lose something. Actually, if you've been believing a lie for, you know, most of your life, for all of your life, admitting that it's a lie is great benefit to you. It's not going to take away from your life. It's actually going to give you life. Well, yeah, related to this, uh, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. The word train there means to narrow or to initiate or to discipline or dedicate. In other words, parents understanding how that child is uh, wired, what's their bent, what's their gifting, what are they, what are they dealing with? Um, mm-hmm. You know what are they good at? What what are they what are they leaning toward? Are they learning toward, you know, music, sports, technology, or, or what are they leaning toward in their hearts in their life? What are they good What's at? What's their, their gifting? Yeah. What's their gifting? Recognizing right. that. Now, can I say well, something about that? You know, when you recognize the child's gifting, that place where they really like doing this or that or whatever it is, if it's you know whatever it is, if you if you lock into what they're motivated to do themselves, oh. they will be motivated to do it, and you won't have to push them in it. Well, you won't I, have to you know threaten them to do it. They like for example, kids who really really love to play piano, you don't have to threaten them to play the piano. They're going to just love to play the piano because that's that's their gifting. So you you lock into that. You found the motivation, and you don't have to beat them with threaten them with this and that and the other thing to, to do what you think they should be doing. What, what, what the parents make a mistake when they do sometimes is they impose their desire for that right. child and say, well, dad was a great athlete. I expect my son to play football, but maybe he's interested in the violin. Yeah. And so we, we push him into something that he's, and really then that son is going to feel for. like he's, he's going to feel pleased his father and he's, he's gonna, somehow bad. And, and you see, you're not giving them the freedom to, identify who they are and your job is to help them explore that not to narrow it down and 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 demand it or dictate it to them it's to explore and discover not to demand um and that's why when kids are exposed to a lot of different things they'll finally find out who they are and part of who we are is and part of who we are is why we're here and what we're called to do and so doing things and having a purpose is a great deterrent to drugs and and you know that wasteful life that most kids lock into because they don't know what they are, who they are, what they're supposed to be doing. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Yeah. And you fathers, yeah. do not provoke your yeah. children to wrath, mm-hmm. but bring them up in the what? Training yeah. and admonition of the Lord. Now, that's more than just, you know, sending them to Sunday school and so they can learn about a flannel board Jesus or go to a youth group where they're into computer games and pizza parties. But and it talks about in Deuteronomy 6 about parents are to to train their children. In other words, a lifestyle when you sit, when you sit down, when you rise up at the table, when you you lie down, when you get up in the car, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a whole lifestyle and it's relational. It's not just rules. Yeah. Sometimes what happens is the parents, instead of the kids seems like they're going astray, we're going to we'll give more rules. Well, there needs to be some rules, principles, guidelines, but out of relationship. Right. And the relationship. Yeah. And what happens, it's, when it talks about here in Ephesians 6, 4, promote not your children to wrath. Frustration, so, so giving they're, up. Their mm-hmm. kids today, a lot of kids today are very, are very angry mm-hmm. about that. Maybe they're trying to, you know, it's like the square pig and trying to fit into a round hole right. or they've been uh, violated sexually or they right. just feel that they're worthless or they can never measure up. So there's a anger and a frustration. Uh, how Margie, do you think what we, what can we do to as, as parents or grandparents to, when we see that, how that's a, that's a key area. Well, to be able to diffuse that, deal with that anger and, and that the kids have, it mm-hmm. might be very overt in, in, in uh, you know, in rebellion, uh, diff- different behavioral, right. acting out things, or it may be very quiet. Right. Yeah. And that's scarier yet. Yeah. It's, it's that frustration or that acting out. Um, it comes from, like you said, from the anger. Anger comes from the injustices. In, underneath every spirit of anger, I don't care if you're 20 years old, 40 years old, or two months old, 
underneath every spirit of anger, whether it's throwing a fit, tantrum, whatever, is a spirit of fear and a spirit of injustice. The injustice is, is um, you know, like, for example, with the child, you're putting an expectation on them that's not really from God. It's not where they're at. You're maybe you're requiring of them something that they cannot yet do or they don't see the, the virtue in doing it. And now that they can't do it, you're putting a rule on them, making them do it, and then you're forcing them. And then that is interpreted to them as rejection. And rejection says, I can't do it right. They don't love me. It's a conditional love thing. So now they're not, they're unlovable unless they can do this and do it well and do it perfect. And we don't understand that our children are under some adverse circumstances, whether it's, you know, um, the, the, the comparisons uh, with other children, there's bullying, there's peer pressure. And in your, with your um, grown-up, grown-ups, some grown-ups, actually, you may be married to someone who's still locked into being at seven years old. They're still looking borderline and throwing fits and demanding their own way. And unfortunately, the older you get, the bigger and more set the strongholds are, the more well-developed they are. And so um, at that point, you know, there needs to be probably just a, a wrecking ball comes into their life and, and begins to break down this thing. And that is what God will do. You're not going to do that. But God, can, God sometimes sets that up for the deliverance, for the salvation. Paul was even so adamant about this. He said he actually turned to well, one guy in First uh, and Second Corinthians chapter 5 over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. And I think this is a God doing. I'm, I'm not advocating you turn people over to Satan, but I think sometimes, the, you know, the more God is working on someone, the more angry and frustrated they get. But going back to your question, the anger is coming from an injustice. So if you're the, you see your child throwing a fit, you know, being bullheaded, locking themselves in the room, whatever, you as a parent need to start looking at what you're doing first you look first at yourself. You don't put on your child any expectations for repentance or confession that you're not putting on yourself first. You get on your face before God and you say, God, what changed me? What is the lie I'm believing? What is Not that we're always responsible for everything our children are doing, obviously, but more, than off, more often than not, you are their first teachers. Unless, of course, you weren't their teacher and you had daycare and you had all kinds of other things going on. But ask the Lord, what, what, do you, what about me? Because unbelievable as it is, our children are most of the time reactors. And so when you get to the older stages of people, you know, the millennials, they are simply reacting. Millennials, you are reacting to what you've been put under, taught, the strongholds, the concepts of, of this world, the God of this world. He's indoctrinated you. He's put many, you know, expectations. You don't even know how you've been lied to. And in, unfortunately, many of the millennials don't have parents who yet know how they were lied to. They've cut the parents out of their life, and now they're going on their way, um, seeking ways to medicate the pain. So a lot of our reactions now, a lot of our uh, ongoing things as we get older is just a reaction to the pain um, to try to medicate, whether it's drugs or friends or, or escapes or whatever we do, food or movies or whatever it is that we do to escape um, the pain of, of the rejection. And so some people respond through rebellion, some do it through escape. Uh, and, and all of them are strongholds. They're all, and who's going to contend for you? Who's going to pray for you? How many have got a little old grandma somewhere, somewhere that's still alive, that's still got her wits about her, that can pray for you? They'll say, well, I came to Jesus because my, it was my grandma's prayers. Because you were, you know, yeah, very, could very well be. But, you know, as a believer, you start contending. You don't have to just, you know, they don't have to be your bloodline people either. You can start to contend for those around you who are swallowed up in despair and hopelessness and locked up in these spiritual strongholds where they don't know where they're going to go uh, or, or what to do. I mean, and a lot of them are homeless. They're jobless. They're penniless. They have no, no one. They have no one at all in their world. And so that's the worst thing of all is having no one in your world that cares whether you live or whether you die, that is, that is, that's the ultimate stronghold of being alone, afraid, abandoned, and unable. There's no more resources for you, no more hope. No one comes by and says, help, let me help you. Let me open, Jesus opened the door, but you're still sitting in the stronghold thinking it's locked, and you just, there's no hope. So as the people of God, the people who bring hope, uh, giving an answer for the reason that lies within us, of the hope that's in us, 
we need to be, there's plenty to do. You don't have to be bored for crying out loud. You don't have to sit around and wonder what God wants to do with you. Look around you and see the hurting people and begin to contend with, you know, with God. Go to the court of heaven on their behalf for your friends, yourself, your children, um, your loved ones. You know, there's much in the Bible, obviously. We're kind of wrapping it up here with this, this, this quick talk, but there's much in the Bible that has to do with how you're, be, how you're built in the beginning, your identity. Remember the stories of Daniel and his three friends, how that Satan really removed them from a, a healthy, loving, nurturing environment, uh, and they were taken as captives, imprisoned, and, and, and the, the, the country they went to was going to use them, their good looks, their, their youth, their strength, their energy, their zeal, to actually use them to uh, promote the machine of Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon, yeah, yeah. because these were you know, Jews. They were trained in the ways of God. Now, somehow, the, you know, we But they we, were like we 13, of, 14, 17-year-olds, something like that. Yeah, yeah, teenagers. They were, um, we think of them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We call them by their, we know them mostly by their Babylonian names. They're new, see, they even got new names. They so, were so undone. Satan tried to give them a new identity, new names, new environment, new uh, con- country, new goals, new, motives, new thinking, patience. new gods, yeah. Yeah. and a, yeah. and a new, new diet. New diet, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Satan, uh, the Babylonian king, wanted to put them on junk food. Well, you know, and, and they were smart enough. How many kids these days, if all this junk food was set before them and the dainties and the trifles and the fast foods, how many of them would say, no, no, I'm going to stick to the good old food that God has for me. I'm going to stick to the true, real food. How many kids would even have the gumption to say that? I doubt it. And Daniel took his life in his hands over a plate of food. Seriously, he says, I'm not going to eat that stuff. And, you know, kill me if you want to, but or let me do this. Let's prove God. Give me 10 days worth of my food and see if I'm not stronger, better, smarter. And if I ain't, then we'll see what will happen. But so he was willing to take a stand for a plate of food. And that's what made that man greatest. But you think, how many kids his age, 17, just whipped out of home, went through a battle, captured, you know, probably beaten up, who knows, terrified, where's my parents, will I ever see them? Maybe saw them killed in front of his own eyes, I don't even know. But the kid was still had enough gumption. You know, that's the kind of kids we're going to have to have, standing and having done all this. Stand. They're going to be the ones God is going to raise up. You know why? Because they didn't have a chance. And God is going to let his spirit come right to them. He's going to reveal himself to them. Not that we were exed out of a job here and we don't have to contend for them. But a lot of them, God just came upon them. And, and Daniel's name, what does it mean? Daniel means God is my judge. So let God judge between me and you, Nebuchadnezzar, to see who's right here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so God, you know, he, he, uh, he honored Daniel and stood up with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I, I really believe this. Uh, that that some of these that have gone out, these uh, we call them like prodigals, yeah. uh, those that have really, you know, taken off and gone, pushed and the part, envelope the wrong way. Basically, <laughs> a lot of it is because there has been a failure in the part of parents, mm-hmm. and then at the same time, there are godly parents that mm-hmm. have raised their kids as best they know. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as a perfect parent except God, mm-hmm. and He has all kinds of rebellious kids. That's true. So you don't have to come down on yourself. And he is the perfect parent. He's the father of glory. And so sometimes parents that have raised their kids the best they know how. That's true. In the ways of God, have loved them, have prayed for them, and they're out there in the far country like the prodigal. Mm -hmm. And um, I believe that many of these these ones that have left are ones that, like uh, you've mentioned, Marjorie, have never really had a chance. They've never had godly training. They've never, uh, they don't really know uh, mm-hmm. the ways of God at all. But I really believe that many of these are going to be raised up to be the prophets, uh, uh, mm-hmm. apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, mm-hmm. and they're going to do it right. I think of the old um, Jesus movement back in the late 60s and early 70s and maybe even into the early 80s where there was a generation of, of hippies, people, you know, it was drug, sex, rock and roll, the hippie culture, Lost. all this stuff. Lost. What happened? There were some people that began to pray and reach into them. The churches, for the most part, during that period of time were very dead, and they were shocked that, oh, my, 
look at these weird ones that are just doing all this goofy stuff. They don't wash. They got, they're into drugs. They're into bad music. They got, you know, long hair, stuff like that. But those, those have turned out. Jesus moved in mm-hmm. a powerful way and, and, and got a hold of many of them and that are, have become many uh, leaders today, great men and women of God, missionaries today. And I would say, Lord, do it again. Yeah. To among these lost generation mm-hmm. uh, generations that have are out there right now, that God will call back. He'll break the power of the strongholds in their lives, and bring them back, and bring them not back. There's nothing to really come back to because they haven't anything from the begin with. Or bring them to uh, revelation, that Jesus true Christ. revelation, oh, and mm-hmm. encounter with the living God, yeah. and be powerful, not as religious people but as people who are living in the power of the Holy Spirit, declaring the beauty of Jesus Mm -hmm. to their generation. And Father God, we also thank you that you know our children. You've given them to us. Some of them have not been corrected. Some of them have not been connected or disconnected. And some of them have been neglected. And so, Father God, we ask you now for each child and each young adult and each millennial and each adult that's been wounded and destroyed or strongholded. We contend for them now, Lord God, through the grace of Jesus Christ. And we declare, Lord, the ransom has been paid. As we come before the high court of heaven, we protest, we, we protest what Satan has done. We present our case. Lord, he has violated. He has tried to destroy, devour, and, and, and held us in the grip of the terrible one. These children are innocent. A lot of the adults even are innocent, Lord, because they have, they have no idea. Um, what's happened. And so, Father God, in Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory, and because you died for us and you are the faithful witness, we pray now that you would contend for your children, Lord God. You'd contend contend for us by sending forth the revelation of Jesus Christ, the power of your Holy Spirit, to bring redemption and salvation and the ingathering of the truly lost, the souls, the wandering, that the children uh, of the godly parents that are weeping for their children, that the tears would be come before the court, the court of heaven, and you would see that there is, Lord God, a reason for these children to be saved and brought back. Bring them to their senses like you did the prodigal. And Father God, we just forbid, we forbid the enemy to continue his operation un, unabated and, and just without being contested. Lord, we contend for the children and the adults. We contend for those who are lost or wandering, uh, crushed and in strongholds, Father, those that have been held hostage. And we ask you now, Lord God, to show miracles, show yourself mighty in behalf of, of those who are lost. Rescue them, deliver them, for we are all your workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And you said you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So help us to rise up and walk in that freedom, Father God, for your goodness and for your glory. In Jesus' name. And for those that uh, parents yeah. that are swallowed up in despair, yeah, feel so helpless and so bound and so guilty, Lord. I thank you, Lord, Dad, that when we confess, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to, to forgive and to be forgiven. And then not to come uh, in a place, not to just follow in a place of helplessness, but a place of contention. In, in the contending in contending for these kids mm-hmm. in Jesus name we call our kids back to you yes, we call them to you Lord and we bring ourselves back to you and we thank you Father for their deliverance and their freedom as you work in us mightily Lord we're believing you to do what we can ever do for ourselves Lord, yes, Lord. and turn their hearts to you we trust you, Father, for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So next week, <clears throat> we're going to do part two, which is basically more of a specific strategy on how to actually uh, get to the generational agreements, the lies, uh, and you know, explore more specifically how the, the lies build the strongholds. And we'd also invite you, if you're around uh, in the Victoria area on Saturday, we're doing a workshop on called Bewitched. And it's uh, who's under whose inf- whose reality is influencing you. What is what's influencing your life? What gospel? What reality? What are you, what's bewitching you? And so that will be um, at and you can check that on our website liferecovery.com for the details. The Blessing House from ten to three. It's free, open to the public. We're going to be doing a couple more workshops around the cities, the Minneapolis area, in the next couple of weeks. Keep keep posted through our, our website. You can uh, sign up through Eventbrite so we get 
your contact information. Like I said, it's free. TrueLightChurchMN.org uh, is another place you can check out. And we meet every Sunday in Dayton, Minnesota. So God bless you guys and uh, be encouraged. Amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.